This is a Podcast 225 production. The issues. What's going on now? What's happening in the state? The people. Carl Dabity. We've got Michael Shingle, Taylor Moore, Jay Darden, Congressman Garrett Gray, Richard Condon. He is Ryan Clark, Sharon Weston Broom. The podcast. And we're going to talk about that. This is the Clay Young Show. Up, up, and away with episode 217. 217 episodes strong of the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com and on the Apple Podcast app or iTunes. Thank you for being with us. We are rounding what either is the end of the road in the governor's race or the end of phase one. Figure that one out. If there is a runoff, Lots of things could change, but the incumbent Democrat John Bell Edwards is trying to outlast his two chief opponents, Republicans, Congressman Ralph Abraham and businessman Eddie Rasponi. So we're going to talk about the governor's race. The other item on the agenda is the city of St. George, the proposed city of St. George, and whether or not it's going to happen, I think as we are here today recording episode 217, I think it's likely to happen. We'll talk about that and the governor's race with political science professor Dr. Albert Samuel and JMC analytics and polling proprietor, easy for me to say, John Cuvion. This should be good. The politicos, as I like to call them, will join us and we're going to talk about all things politics in Louisiana. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution. Exactly how long have you been wiping rodents off the planet? 26 years. 26 years? So let's talk about what you're going to do in the 27th year. Well, you know, it's amazing. If you look at the reproductive cycle of a rodent, Mm -hmm. two rodents over a course of 12 months can become 3,400 what? Yeah. It's a serious problem and not something you want to take lightly. And the reason we get so many customers from the big box stores is because you can feed them buckets and buckets and it's like you're just feeding them. Mm. So you mm. need to use what the pros use. You save a lot of money and you eliminate the problem. Man, that is terrifying. If I'm in the New Orleans region and I want to get this stuff, where can I find it? Well, in Metairie, we're located at 3512 Severn Avenue next to the Pepper Mill. In Covington, we're located at 1417 North Highway 190. That's in the same shopping center as Sherwin-Williams and Villary Florist. And on the West Bank, we're on the Palco just past the Harvey Bridge. Forget the big box stores. Get what you need at Pest Stop. This is the Clay Young Show. Back with Dr. Albert Samuels, political science professor at Southern University, and John Cuvion, who's making a whole lot of people happy these days. He <laughs> is the proprietor of JMC Analytics and Polling. And the election season, as we record this, are on the way. Dr. Samuel and John have been on with us before to talk about these cycles. I think this is our, we've, we've talked a lot of politics, but this is maybe the third cycle of us talking about elections. First up, how are you gentlemen doing? Great. 
doing doing great, doing great. They say, hey, it's, it's always a great Monday when the Saints win, <laughs> the Cowboys lose, and the Falcons lose. That's, that's a great weekend. <laughs> well, Sam starts off. This starts off throwing salt in the wound. <laughs> well, let's let's start off with it. So let's start with the governor's race, gentlemen. And and as we record. Uh, JMC Analytics and Polling just released another poll that shows currently Governor John Bell Edwards polling at 45 percent, businessman Eddie Responi polling at 20 percent, and Congressman Ralph Abraham polling at 19 percent. Now, John, let's get into this because this is really brand new. Yes. What was your sample size? Where was this done? 600, it was done over the time frame of October, October 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Mm-hmm. It used a 29% black electorate, which, by the way, is a very significant number for reasons I will tell you shortly. Okay, tell me that, now. Now's the goodest time. Yeah, to think, right? that's right. One of the things that's important to appreciate is that I and my other colleagues in the Louisiana polling community have been assuming a 29% black electorate. Which is important because Governor Edwards is going to get nearly all of that vote, other than approximately 5% of it that will go to Omar Dantzler, mm-hmm. probably another 5 to 10 that will scatter amongst the other candidates in the right. race. So if you're assuming a near unanimous share of 29% of the vote and the early vote which came in was noticeably less, i.e. 25%, and that's even after the Democrats pulled out all the stops two days ago. That suggests to me that Governor Edwards' ceiling can be reduced by a few points. Now, I've heard the old, you know, old wise tales, so to speak, about early voting doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, with more and more Louisianians choosing to early vote, mm-hmm. it's gone from 10% a decade ago to the 25 to 30% range now. In other words, a statistically significant sample of the Louisiana electorate. And I have found in my research of the early vote that the early vote demographics are not wildly different than election day demographics. In other words, if it was 25% black after some poking, prodding, and pushing, I personally think that Saturday night it'll end up about 27%. In other words, you can't assume that just because early voting was 25% that somehow you can wave the wand and you'll get a 31% black elector on Saturday. Get out the vote is good, but not that good. Doc, your thoughts? Well, there uh, there is some nervousness, if you will, uh, in some Democratic uh, uh, among some Democrats, you know, about the early vote numbers, you know, because uh, let's, let's just get down to brass tacks. Uh, there are a lot of Democrats who are concerned about if there is a runoff. Well, no, that 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 the governor could actually be in real trouble because they're con- what they're concerned about is that that it's turnout. What will the turnout be in a in a in a November election? Sure. And and so you know if you know if 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 black voters who are uh, clearly the, the base of the Democratic Party and the most reliable uh, Democratic voters do not turn out in the numbers that uh, Governor Edwards expects, uh, you could end up with an election day number of well, him getting somewhere like 47, 48, you know, which would necessitate a runoff. And then once you get into a runoff, uh, you know, things could actually get dicey. 
And, you know, I want to piggyback off of what Dr. Samuels is saying. There are two things going on with with regards to black turnout that, in my opinion, are calculations or miscalculations from the Edwards campaign, depending on your point of view. Let me explain. The first thing is, just like Mary Landrieu's people in 2014 perpetuated this nonsense about winning in the first primary because I think they feared the runoff, and it didn't happen. Similarly, Governor Edwards's people are creating a false narrative of winning in the runoff. What that means in plain political terms is if you are a partisan Democrat and you keep hearing all this messaging other than rogue pollsters like me who are saying otherwise, that you're going to win without a runoff, then all of a sudden you think that your vote isn't that important and therefore you're not as motivated to go vote. That's number one. Number two, this is kind of tied into the 51% narrative. Part of what Governor Edwards is doing in his messaging, which is smart but not smart at the same time, he's showing how nonpartisan he is and how many Republicans are endorsing him and this Mm -hmm. and that. Well, I'm of the opinion that in politics, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So again, if you're a partisan Democrat and you're hearing, oh, well, we're going to win in the primary without a runoff, and oh, well, Governor Edwards is you know a nonpartisan guy who all these Republicans are endorsing, and Republicans think he's this great guy. To quote Quio Fields from 2002, that makes me sick to my stomach. In other words, why would a partisan Democrat be fired up to vote if you're hearing somebody espouse nonpartisan and or Republican-friendly rhetoric? Doc? Well, I, I, actually, I think he's on to something here. Um, There's some to believe what the Edwards campaign's message has been is that uh, uh, vote for me, uh, otherwise, we will go back to the same policies under Bobby Jindal. In other words, you know, in other words, he's, he's running against Bobby Jindal. Uh, and, but, and, but he's, but what, what the Edwards campaign message wise, you know, really hasn't done a very good job of, in my estimation, is to say, okay, what will you do for four years? You know, what, what's a positive reason to vote for you? What's your vision for four years? Uh, you know, if you were to give me a second term. I don't really think they've done a good job of really clearly articulating that. So, you know, the question is, you know, uh, give people something to vote for, not just to vote against. And I, I don't think they've done a really good job of that. I mean, they talk so much, they've talked so a lot about what he's accomplished, uh, you know, Medicaid expansion, for example, solving the budget crisis. Uh, but, okay, okay, Okay. Okay. Now you. Okay. 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 Let's, let's, let's say I agree with that. So, how are you going to build on that? And I don't think they've had a very good answer for that. It's interesting. That I'm, I'm fascinated by the first seven minutes of, of listening to you gentlemen speak about what's going on here. And, and there's there is a bit to unpack in what you're both saying. So let's start first with the messaging aspect of what you are saying if i'm understanding you correctly you both are saying that the governor has not not done an effective enough job of messaging directly to his base constituency is that what i'm hearing from you i'll let dr samuels go first (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay in lower yeah yeah um yeah um yeah i i i I do think that uh, they, they're not giving, I don't think they're giving their base enough of a reason to turn out, to turn out. Oh. And, 
and that we may, uh, and, and and what they may end up with, uh, and unless something changes in the, in the next several days, that they may end up in a, in a, end up with a runoff. It's fascinating, John. Same yeah, so, thing. So my thought is this: I'm going to kind of agree in a different way. Okay. In the old days, pull that mic a little closer sure. to. In you. the old days, someone like an Edwin Edwards or a John Burrow or even a Kathleen Blanco was able to successfully bridge the divide between the more conservative and the liberal wings of the Democratic Party. It's much tougher in today's polarized times for Governor Edwards to do that. And so the problem is he's kind of throwing his lot in with going the more nonpartisan, Mm -hmm. Republican-friendly route. And you'll notice he's not uttered one word of criticism about the Republican House. In other words, he's not done a Harry Truman, you know, give him hell kind of campaign about the troubles he's had with the Republican House. But the thing is, if you're trying to be nonpartisan and, you know, get all these Republicans to endorse you, at the same time, like I said, you're necessarily going to get a loss of enthusiasm from Democratic activists mm-hmm. who are dominant in Orleans and to a lesser extent East Baton Rouge Parish. In other words, what do you really have to vote for if you have a Republic if you have a governor who's acting like a Republican and he's saying that he doesn't need their vote to win without a runoff? Whether but, but, rather but, real or implied, that's okay. the message. Yeah, so that's the thing. So the because I don't think it is real. I don't think he's ever said. No. But but where do you gain the and because this is the most fascinating thing so far, the implication is that he is not as motivated about getting that vote out because he is focusing his attention elsewhere, or do you think they have just been negligent? Period about trying to engage, again, his core voting constituency. I won't quite go so harsh as to say the word negligent, but I do think there was an underlying assumption that, well, the blacks blacks will turn out like they always have in the past. People always assume that. Right. Here's the interesting thing, though. And since I just did a poll in North Carolina's special congressional election a couple months ago, I can attest to this. In Louisiana, the black vote is much more elastic than it is elsewhere, meaning that I've seen wild variations in terms of black turnout relative to white turnout, Mm -hmm. which matters very much when you're talking about a block of voters that goes nearly unanimously Democratic. Doc, what do you think about that? Well, again, I, I think you, I think, I think you're onto something. Jim, you know, when, when you think about it, I mean, not just not just black turnout. I think turnout, period. Yeah. In in the, you know, in the runoff uh, last time, you know, race was quite frankly was a, I would argue was a lot more spirited, <laughs> far more entertaining. <laughs> Than this race is. I mean, yes, you know, I agree. By, you know, by, by, by the standards of Louisiana politics, yeah. this has been a boring election. There, there's, <laughs> there's no, you know what? That's such a great point. <laughs> That's such a great point because nobody really talks about it with the same steam. You know, you know what this is similar to? It is similar to Jindal's re-election run. Uh, when he ended up against yeah. a, a bunch of guys that nobody knew a whole lot about, and the closest person to him, even though he won without a runoff, was Walter Brasso, who was a legislator at the time. He was a senator, state senator at the time. But there wasn't there wasn't a there wasn't a big a, a, a big amount of enthusiasm around that because Jindal kept the names out of the race. You're thinking of the 2011 run against Tara Hollis and a bunch of other yeah. anonymous Yeah, people. right, right, yeah. that race. That race. The, yeah, there, there's that. And, you know, another similarity between this and the 2011 race is that 
The statewide races, to be honest with you, are the most boring I have ever seen, with the exception of the insurance commissioner race. In other words, Democrats do not have any top-tier candidates in any of the races below governor, and they forfeited a couple of them, like the insurance commissioner's race. In other words, there's really nothing entertaining, and I think that that's kind of contributing to the malaise. But here's the interesting thing, though, and I'm going to go even further afield here. Okay. Okay. Early voting was nearly double what it was after a comparable period of time in 2015. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, the I word is what's driving the early voting turnout. I word being impeachment. Yeah. In other words, just like the Kavanaugh hearings stirred up conservatives in conservative states last year and saved the Republicans' bacon in the United States Senate Mm -hmm. and brought about a 52% turnout here in Louisiana, which for an unsexy election cycle last fall was unheard of. Well, all of a sudden we have the second highest early voting turnout ever, uh, only second to the presidential election in 2016. And yet the turnout is high. You have to conclude that there are external factors affecting it because you don't have turnout just double in four years. I do think that impeachment is riling up conservatives and you had a Republican heavy early vote to show for it. Let me throw this at both of you. Just thinking about this now, uh, John eluded Dr. Samuel a second ago about the 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 lack of serious competition between Republican and Democratic Uh, challengers for these other statewide races. Here is John Bell Edwards, who is trying not to get into a runoff because of the way the demographics and the voting demographics work out. However, one could say that as the only statewide elected Democrat who's polling anywhere from 44 to 47 percent, depending on who you ask, with anywhere from 12 to 16 percent of that of the voting population, according to polls, undecided that he's way ahead of where he ought to be. And that is a reflection of how liked he is across party lines. If that is the case, what is the probability that people are lying to pollsters like our esteemed friend here and Republicans are saying they're going to vote for one of the other guys when they intend to vote for Governor Edwards because they don't disagree with him. And I'll start with the pollster and then Dr. Samuel. Well, it's a good it's a good question. My attitude about that is Governor Edwards is not a controversial figure like David Duke. So in other words, <laughs> you think there's not a hidden vote. Yeah. I mean, the way I look at lying is this lying cuts both ways. So the idea is you know, you just make sure that you have a poll sample that accurately represents the electorate as sure. best you can. Sure. And I don't get into all these. Well, you can't control if they lie to you or not. Right. Well, I get, well, now, I will tell you something that I can tell you from experience they lie about, which is why I do not use it as a screening question. The first question that a lot of legacy pollsters like to use is, how likely are you to vote in XYZ election? BS question. <laughs> I have found in my experience at best 5 to 10% of the people say they're not going to vote. Have you ever seen a 90% turnout in Louisiana? No. Right. No. no. Well, there is that. But, Doc, what do you think about my, my initial question the, the, about uh, the governor and the polls and all of that? Well, you know, I, I mean, I do, I do, I to, I do think that, uh, uh, that John is on, is on something when he says, and it says, uh, Edwards is not... Uh, a, a a polarizing uh, a, a candidate. No, he's not a he's not a David Duke. He's not a Donald Trump. Where uh, a candidate, you know, who people may uh, want to tell tell voters they're not going to vote for them, and then they actually turn around and, and run around and they do. I think the key. I think I think one of the keys here is that is, is that percentage of voters who are now claiming to be undecided. Hmm. 
and uh, I'm gonna keep telling you know, people actually gonna actually show up, show up, because again, Edwards is Edwards. I think is is close enough where if he if he got a significant share of that vote and that that vote, you know, he could actually could have voted one off. That's what I. That's what I, I've been saying that a little while. That if if he pulls off forty percent of that undecided. That could be enough to tip the scales a bit. But but John's excited over here. He's got a point about that. Go ahead. On the top of page three of my poll release, paragraph number two, <laughs> who are the undecideds? In the last poll, 29% of undecideds are African-American and 21% are Republican. In this poll, only 14% are African-American, while 55% are Republican. So, of course, that means you have 31% that are white Dems and white independents. Right. In other words... "Quote unquote," Governor Edwards has come close to hitting his ceiling given his existing patterns of support. Oh, and the other thing too, which I again I don't mind going out on a limb relative to my colleagues in this business. I, like my colleagues, used a 29% black electorate. I personally think, when all is said done, given that there was a 25% black electorate for early voting, mm-hmm. and again after some pushing, pulling, and tugging, the 25% will probably be 27% when you throw an election day. Yeah. In other words, I'm producing a poll that's 2% too Democratic. Mm-hmm. I just said it. The other pollsters didn't. Oh, and. I think I'm the only pollster to put Omar Dantzler in there as well. Omar Dantzler is an interesting, interesting uh, part of this. And I want to come back to Dantzler in a second. But based upon some news that we heard yesterday, President Trump is coming to Louisiana on Friday, apparently to stump for Ralph Abraham and Eddie Rispone. Now, on the on the pro-Republican side of this, this will be seen as a rallying cry to make certain that voters turn out to vote in favor of one of these two men. But I would also like to say that him coming will also gas up Governor Edwards' core constituency to go out and vote against. Like, this will be the first time that there is, quote-unquote, politically polarizing energy in this race, which will have the impact of goosing the numbers on both sides. A, do you believe that is a a sound perspective to have? And B, if that is the case, what happens? Uh, I think the short answer to the question is that we don't know. Uh, But, uh, you know, you know, this could, you know, if you're, you know, uh, this, again, could be the juice, if you will, because uh, right now uh, that could actually, uh, you know, it could it could energize a, a Democratic, Democratic base right now, which to me actually seems to be kind of, Lackadaisical. Lackadaisical, yeah, yeah. No, no lackadaisical in, in my, in, you know, in my view. Um, this race has been kind of, in a lot of ways, has been a yawner, and there's been this, there's been this assumption by a lot of people that Edwards is, Edwards is, is pretty much, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not in trouble. Uh, he's going to win. He's, he's going to win this thing. Uh, and I, you know, this could be, you know, this, this could, this could be, this could be the juice. Um, but then again, uh, I know the Republicans are uh, Republicans are hoping that this this is going to 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 spark uh, even the new Republican energy. I'd like to remind people that in in, you know, in 2015, in, in the in the in the runoff election, we had 39.9 percent turnout. Mm-hmm. 
in the in the runoff election. Yeah. So there's some room on both sides for, for people to turn out. We got yeah. we, we have a lots of Louisianians in in both parties who are independents who are sitting on the sidelines, and 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 that's been the case for actually for quite a, quite a bit of time. Yeah. So there, you know, truth the matter is that we actually don't know who's going to show up on election day. <laughs> yeah. So here's my thought. Uh, first off, this is Louisiana, not a state like Colorado, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Governor, uh, Governor, President Trump, rather, is still pretty popular here. So he got. Oh yeah. He carried the state by twenty points, and I dare say, if the election were held today, it'd probably be pretty close to that twenty-point margin. Right. So when you talk about whose base would get excited more, well, there's a lot more pro-Trump people to get excited. In Louisiana, heck yeah. Right. Yeah. Now I do think that it's a bit of a muddled message saying yeah. vote Republican. And that was the next thing I was going to ask about. Because how does it impact either guy if he's got his arms around both, both guys? Well, yeah, and I'll get to that in a second. But the way I look at it is this. The brass tax are number one. Trump carried the state 20 points. So Governor Edwards can ill afford to lose Trump voters, number one. Number two, 31% of the undecideds now are white Dems and white independents. Right. Again, these are not partisan Democrats. And the way I look at who it's helping is this. I think it kind of comes down to when you think about the type of voter attitudinally who Donald Trump would stir up, I'm thinking of somebody who is not terribly engaged in the political system but is mad at the swamp and so forth. Yeah. One of the two Republicans running has explicitly made his sole message being the conservative outsider who sits on the back of the pickup truck. Responey, man. Right. He could call yeah. it out. Everybody knows. He sits on the back of the yeah. pickup truck, and he, he loves Trump. Whereas Ralph Abraham, in my opinion, has fallen into the trap that so many other office holders fall into, which, which is, is depending on politicians' endorsements. In other words, it's a perfect foil to Rasponi's message because Rasponi is clearly saying he's the outsider. And if you have a lot of Trumpish voters, his also, TV has been horrible, though. The man. first ad was. It got uh, better. Oh, it got. Did it get better? It oh, did. I don't watch the enough television. Ad, the okay. first ad was bad. First two were really bad. They I thought. Were. I thought he was pranking himself. It, well, yeah. he came across too much as pandering. Yeah. It was one of those things. Remember back when Bobby Jindal did his State of the Union response, and you heard Chris Matthews <laughs> say, "Oh my God." And that, <laughs> hey, that was, yeah. I was with George Sells and Jim mm-hmm. Inkster that night, man. And when he walked out, I was like, "What is this?" Yeah. I'm glad I didn't say something else because I didn't realize there was a camera guy behind Yikes. me. But uh, that was bad. Right. He, he never recovered from that, by the way. He did. Yeah. In fact, I think his presidential ambitions, quite honestly, peaked at that point. Presidential ambitions. Okay, that's a subject for another day. Let's not even do that. But the brass tacks are, I think the President Trump is stirring up voters. And if you think of a voter who's angry at the system, who supports Trump, who quite frankly doesn't know where to land on the governor's race. Yeah. But, well, there's this outside gutter guy Rasponi. And also, too, I think that the hit piece that Rasponi did on Abraham is effective in that Abraham's people did not have a ready-made response ready to go. Hmm. In other words, you and I know that there is a false equivalence between a a promise you made to pander to the voters about donating your salary and buying a plane. I mean, that's two different economic events. It's It's just a silly thing when I hear people do it, talk about donating their salary. It's like nobody cares about that as much. Uh, I don't know that the average person knows what a member of Congress makes or for that matter, even the president. It's just it's that moral uh, soapbox thing to just stay away from. it. Right. But there's a bigger problem, though, which Abraham, in, in my opinion, stepped into is when you go that far out on a limb and virtue signal and you quote unquote break that promise people are going to say uh, another politician not yeah. following his promises that to me is uh-huh. the epicenter of 
Ralph's problems. Yeah. That plus the fact that he has one of the worst attendance records in Congress because he had a 1.5% absenteeism record in the previous Congress. Sure. And I think it was 0.5% of the Congress before that. So to go from 1.5 to 44, let me put you this way. The worst thing you could ever utter, whether real or implied in politics, is remember the old country song, Take This Job and Shove It? Yep. If, mm-hmm. if ever you give the impression that you've somehow gotten too good for your job, voters voters pick up on that in a heartbeat. Because in the real world, people yeah. get fired. Right. And that's, right. A, and that's the kind of thing you could easily say in a soundbite-ish way in debate. Yeah. If one of my employees was absent, or excuse me, if one of your employees, Dr. Abraham, was absent 44% of the time, you'd fire him or her, wouldn't you? I mean, that, Absolutely. that's excellent campaign messaging. Mm-hmm. So, Doc, no, what that, it, when, you're, when, you're, when, when you have the highest absentee rate in a Congress that spends so much time on vacation. True. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you consider how many times, we, we, I mean, I mean, seriously, when you think about how often Congress is in recess, when they're, when they're really not, I mean, look, in, in recess, uh, and then you, and then, and then in, in that context, you're the guy that, that still has the highest absentee rate. Yeah. That is a problem. Yeah. That is a problem. I don't uh, I don't know how they didn't have something prepared for that, the, you know, because I when I've worked with and I don't do it very much anymore. But when I've worked with candidates uh, and I, it's it's always, you know, what are your blind sides? Explain or cover your blind sides, but don't try to pretend it isn't there. Never treat the public like they're stupid, because when they catch you, they don't forget that you treated them that way. Right. And right. And, and, and go, right. go ahead. You're right. Go. And, and and when and I and he didn't have a and, and when I think I think I think one of the I think one of the blows that it was landed on him in that first debate was when when Abraham was was was, was talking about he was talking about Medicaid and and there should be work requirements for for, uh, for you know Medicaid recipients. It was time around said, "Well, there ought to be work requirements for members of Congress." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a perfect it was a perfect repartee. The other thing too, which I think Edwards got a good pop in on that first debate. Yeah. So again, if you're going to make an attack on a candidate, you damn well better have your documentation ready. Mm-hmm. So let me give you an example. Um, so first off, when Ed, when Abraham brought up the fact about uh, Edwards and his prior feelings about the sales tax, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. I thought that was a good a good attack. And in fact, I was down in the spin room last night that night, and what was interesting was within three minutes, Abraham's staffers were passing out copies of that editorial. Let's fast forward later in the debate when Abraham then tried to slam Edwards for allegedly missing legislative votes to run oh, yeah. for governor and Edwards looked him in the eye and said not a day not a day and Abraham he, and was, he told him look it up yeah. yeah and Abraham started fidgeting and yeah. point being was Abraham should never have made that attack because the thing is if he didn't have that documentation yeah. ready governor Edwards strikes me as the kind of person who has everything the i's dotted and the t's crossed no question. and he would not be that foolish as to miss yeah. votes i mean he's gone these nearly 4 years without any major snafus i think the only thing you can hang on him and it's a big deal and nobody's brought it up was that press conference he had about tops oh, a yeah. few weeks into his the LSU into his term and he talked about closing down yeah. games at tiger stadium and the whole thing and i'm thinking there ain't no way in hell that you're going to you're going to stop games games at Tiger Stadium because of this, but nobody's brought that up. I think he's been clean. Look, I don't know much about Ralph outside of some of the things that that we've learned about him. Eddie is a business guy here. Neither one of them are earth shattering kind of candidates, but one of them has a chance to, you know, within the next 
five, six weeks of being governor elect. So a final question on that before we move to our second topic is, as you sit here today, what do you think either of them has to do? And then what does the governor have to do to be successful on Saturday? And I'll start with you, Doc. Well, I, I think well, I think the last imp- one of the last big impressions that uh, the candidates have is that there's a, a, a debate coming on Wednesday. That's right. Coming on, 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 on Wednesday, and especially for Stoney and for Abraham, because both of them are vying to be the, the candidate mm-hmm. uh, of choice for those for the for the, for the anti Edwards vote, and so I actually expect those two guys to go after each other in yeah. that, in that, in that yeah. debate. And if you, and actually, to me, if you're Abraham, to me, I think Abraham is, is actually the one who's actually thinking. <laughs> thinking. Yeah. So he has got to, and he is, I mean, he has to first, to me, Abraham, in my estimation, he's got to get past the responding. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, because I think I think Responi is is actually surging. <laughs> He's surging. Yes. Yeah. You know, he has a pretty he has a pretty you know you may not agree with with Responi, but he has a he has a pretty clear message. Yes, he does. And he has kind of stuck stuck to it. And Abraham is really so far kind of as a sort of a disappointing, a fumbling kind of candidate. And so he he has got to uh, blunt Rusponi's uh, momentum because if, if there's a, I think Rusponi right now, where his race is going right now, has a better shot of making the runoff right now than Abraham does. <laughs> yeah, that's what the numbers are showing. And I'll be honest, I, if you had asked me that a month ago, I'd have lost a bunch of money on that because I just didn't think that Eddie would be able to outflank Ralph enough to do it just because of how the lack of seriousness, I should say, that people attributed to his campaign based upon his media. And apparently that's gotten better because I don't hear as much criticism. John, what do you say? I'll give you an analogy. So there's the old adage about you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Right. So if we were to go back in 1988 when George Bush picked Dan Quayle, and mm-hmm. I would argue it probably cost him two to three points of his margin. Mm-hmm. Similarly, I do believe that had Rasponi not done the first commercial he did, he would be further ahead. No question. So having said that, though, I think the really the bigger point here when you're talking about what needs to be done the last week, yeah. I'm going I'm to really go to a more broad th- theme here, and that okay. is, quite frankly, the time for making attack ads is over. Oh, yeah. 30% of the vote is pretty much cast, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, voters tune out last-minute attacks. Yep. Number three, the really appropriate thing to do now in the last week is what I call the sunshine and puppies, mm-hmm. which is basically you're doing the cheesy little, you know, closing argument kind of ads. Thank you for your support. Here's what I plan to do. That to me is what the candidates have to do because voters, as you can see from my poll numbers, the numbers were flat. Mm -hmm. My thought about the flatness is that voters are kind of in flux right now. They need that final bit of comfort before they flip a lever on election day for Edwards or Abraham or Rispone. To me, whether you're talking about debate or the tenor of the ads run this week, the important thing is basically to present a strong closing argument. Mm -hmm. 
it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out as, as Dr. Samuel referenced as we record here. There's a debate in a couple of nights, and that's going to be Abraham's chance to lay a glove on. I wouldn't talk a whole lot about Governor Edwards. I mean, when an opportunity presents itself, you do it. But otherwise, he's got to try to get around Responi because it, it's it, unbelievably he is he's he's trailing him now in a lot of polls. And here's the bigger question, too. It's the plain economic facts. What resources do Abraham and Rasponi have to blanket the airwaves this week? Because until recently, Abraham was pretty much off the air in Baton mm-hmm. Rouge, and I imagine New Orleans mm-hmm. was the same. Yeah. So basically, you're talking about a candidate that was campaigning in less than half of the state. Yeah. Now, financial realities may have forced them to do that, but I'm still of the opinion that you could have chosen some cheaper alternatives for getting on the media in Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Well, I mean, it's it's cheaper to do it here than it is in New Orleans. But you're right. I mean, in, in, uh-huh. the, in the Alexandria area where he is, I mean, he's ex, he's extremely popular. Eddie's yes. base of operation is here in the capital region. And I mean, but he's uh-huh. been spending his money. And even if his ads have been improving, there has at least been dialogue about him. And I'll tell you this about politics. There are opportunities to make a, a best, a, a great impression a second time. Mm-hmm. Politics is one of the few places in life uh, outside of maybe sports where someone can have a horrible first impression and then get repackaged and come back and get an opportunity to gain the public's confidence. Because we've seen it a, a bunch of times where candidates get absolutely stomped in races and then years later come back and turn out to be you know, an electable person. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a perfect example, too, of not playing the field when you're talking about media coverage. Yeah. So regardless of whether it's an LSU game or a Saints game I'm watching on TV, yeah. I'm seeing Edwards ad after Rasponi ad after Edwards ad after Rasponi ad. Whatever Abraham's financial situation is, and I truly don't know, he could at least drop some money on LSU and Saints ads games because that's guaranteed eyeballs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the next thing, gentlemen, uh, mm-hmm. in, in about uh, seven, eight minutes here is, is in the capital region. The the big story is that of St. George. Uh, for those of you mm-hmm. unfamiliar with it, there is a large unincorporated part of East Baton Rouge Parish and a, a portion of that unincorporated area is intending to become a city and they've gone through the process of getting the, the the signatures on petition and getting that certified and the governor signed off on it and so now it is going to be a ballot item and only the people inside of the proposed new city will gain the opportunity or get the opportunity to vote on this and this is something that has been talked about here for the better part of six years uh, in this part of the state and and now we are days away from this either becoming a reality or going away the, your 50,000 foot perspective on all of this I'll start with you first this time John based on early voting my my uh, estimate of its passage percentage has upped has raised because not only was early voting in St. George triple what it was compared to 2015, it was much higher than it was in the rest of East Baton Rouge Parish, number one. Number two, it was more Republican-friendly. Number three, it made up a larger part of East Baton Rouge Parish from a percentage standpoint. All of those, to me, point to several additional points on its margin. So I would say 57 to 60% passage. Wow. Doc? I would actually be surprised if it doesn't pass. Uh, because I, because I, I think I think uh, I, I just think that the uh, the organizers uh, of the St. George thing they learned some things from last time. They I think they were just simply better organized 
than than those who are, those those who are, uh, than those who are against it. <laughs> against it, uh, and actually, the jurisdiction itself is actually a little a little bit smaller. It is than it was the last time, mm-hmm. and so that also takes away uh, some of the people who might have voted against it. That's right. More specifically, because I had to painstakingly go block by block to draw the map and build a database of St. George people, mm-hmm. the black population dropped from 23 to 12. Yeah. In other words, I saw whole sections of town and apartment complexes and so forth carved out, mm-hmm. which changed the racial demographics considerably. So in other words, you have a much more pro-St. George playing field in version 2 than there was in version 1. The the infrastructure and uh, operational aspect of this, you know, that's a subject for another time. But both of you obviously have been watching this and and are professionals in your specific areas of expertise. And if you go back to the beginning of all of this in, in discussion and getting to where we are now, what do you all think about that? The fact that we are at this place now? You know, the in some ways, I think I think it's important to to to, to, re- to recognize that this really comes out of this really came out of the desire for them to have an independent school district. Correct. Uh, now they want to de-emphasize that, you know, and and because they failed to get the independent school district in part because they weren't a city and so now and so now they have conflated many of their uh grievances with the school board to as an attack writ large on EBR governance. <laughs> you know governance. But if you look at what they're actually doing, it seems to me that while they claim they want to be a city, but I honestly think they really want to be a school district. I don't think that's ever gone away, though. In, in fairness, yeah. I think that's always been a part of this. Do this step as step one and then step two. Yeah. Try to get your own uh, independent school district. Yeah. Yeah, that's always that's always been tied together at the hip. They've been tied together. Because if you actually, actually look at what they're proposing municipal, from a municipal standpoint, they're really proposing largely a privatized operation and yes. <laughs> uh, operation mm-hmm. uh, you know so to me it seems like it's like, it like that this is re- what is really they claim they want to be a city but we like but you if you actually look at what they're proposing to provide you know you can't actually kind of wonder do they really want to be a city I think in in conversation well let me let you answer first John go ahead good so I have a couple thoughts about this well really three points number one this is basically the culmination of a sore that has been festering since 1981 when the busing order was uh, handed down by Judge Parker. Mm-hmm. Number two, I certainly agree that there are lots of questions about the financial assumptions which were used in developing the city's budget. Mm-hmm. Number three, I think that the biggest mistake that was made here in this six-year quote-unquote campaign is just the kind of the antagonistic attitude that has been taken, whether it be lawsuits or throwing signatures off the petition or what have you. It seemed to me that there could have been interim steps that could have diffused some of the feelings of anger that have gotten us to the point where we are today. I mean, because having early voting turn out triple what it was. In other words, the folks in that part of the parish are revved up. Uh, Absolutely. And and I think that uh, the 
starting from scratch and there's going to be some conversation about legacy costs and, and, oh, yeah. and retirement and things like that, whether or not it moves with the new city. And, you know, the the as Dr. Samuel said, it's going to be largely private there. There a lot of services are going to be contracted out uh, so as not to have to hire staff. There is some discussion and I'm going to talk with the sheriff about that when Ooh. when I uh, when he comes into the studio about the amount of money that is going to be allotted to the sheriff's office to be able to continue to police that area. And that brings up another interesting issue, too. Once you start talking about privatization, you remember that there was a lawsuit against CH2M Hill yeah. with the city of Central, right. because once you're talking about privatization, you have a whole different realm when it comes to privacy of records, and of sure. course, then you got to have a profit motive and so forth. Yeah. In other words, I don't quite think that it is as smooth as people think. And in fact, isn't Sandy Springs, Georgia, starting to backtrack from their utopian model of uh, privatization? Actually, that's actually what has happened. In fact, uh, they just—they just the, the city council just recently decided, you know, that there was a lot of there were a lot of services that uh, they could provide more efficiently in house. So they actually fired. Uh, the, you know, they're one of, the, one of their contractors. They've been contractors, so this is not easy. Also, one of, one of the things Central found out uh, during the 2016 flood, you know, you know, there are, there are real consequences when you when consequences when when you privatize a whole lot of things out, you know, because you know you actually need people on the ground who can deliver services in many cases, and because they had. Privatize much of their functions out. You know they had difficulty providing services, so they had to actually hire more people. So you know people even realize running municipal government is not easy work. It's hard. Yeah. And and in fact, in fact, some a lot of central leaders recently got voted out of office. You know because guess what? They had they had to raise taxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I well, guess what? That's that's what happens. Yeah, government. It, it is, and I think I'm I'm probably going to reach out just to because I be able being able to talk with them again about what's what's coming up. So if I understand you both correctly, you expect that it is going to pass, and and as I understand it, if it passes at some point in the very near future, the governor appoints an interim government, and then there will be formal elections where the citizenry of that area will elect. Uh, we'll we'll have a duly elected government city council or however the, the the government structure is is set up. So then East Baton Rouge changes. What about the city of Baton Rouge? What's next if this if it if it passes? I think it certainly puts a negative pressure on the consolidation of the city parish. Oh, I think the whole thing's going to fall. I mean, I, I do believe that the form of government in the parish as we see it. I think if this passes, my my thought all along has been that that will fall and we will end up with these individual cities and a separate parish president and parish council. Almost kind of like the township model that Midwestern city, Midwestern states have. Yeah. In other words, you'll have the East, Bat, the, you'll have the Baton Rouge fiefdom, you'll have the mm-hmm. Central, Zachary, mm-hmm. Baker, St. George. I mean, basically that's 90, probably 97% of the parish because yeah. you do have a few slivers at the fringes that aren't in any municipality. Right. I would suspect that they would probably want to join up with the municipality next door to them because why be left out in the cold? Doc, what do you think about that? Well, I think he's right. But I think, I think he's just pretty right about that. I think, I think, I think, I mean, this, if this passes, you know, this will in many ways will essentially reverse about 70 years of the city parish 
plan of government from 1947 mm-hmm. in many ways because it will because it, it, it undermine the, the financial or fiscal basis in many ways for that form of government. Um, and also, I, I, I think, that, you know, I, I do believe there are also going to be a whole, a whole bunch of lawsuits as a result of this. Well, no, and, I've, as uh, I've heard the, that. The lawyers are going to have a field day. Yeah. But no, yeah. if you're the Baton Rouge area chamber, you know, this is a nightmare scenario for you because, you know, you've been trying to market the Baton Rouge area and really the Baton Rouge New Orleans corridor, you know, as a place for people to, to that who may want to may want to invest, you know, a lot of talk about Baton Rouge being the, the South, that's great city. A lot of it go out go out the window because you, but you're going to end up with uh, it's a whole lot of unfavorable national headlines about a community that is balkanized, and I'm telling you that's not appealing to outside investors and, and companies that you're trying to bring in. So this is the this is the scenario that they don't want, and this is why they're against it. Unfortunately, I think it's going to pass. Yeah, I, I do too as well. And uh, we'll see what happens after the fact. And I'll try to see about getting somebody in to talk about that. But gentlemen, after, uh, you know, maybe next week we'll be talking again because if, if Governor Edwards doesn't hit 50 plus one, we'll know who his challenger is. And it's, it, you know, it'll be an interesting conversation. Go ahead, John. And by the way, I'm going to violate conventional wisdom. Everyone's acting like it's going to be apocalypse now for the Democrats if there is a runoff. If you go back into history, there's not necessarily a correlation between a runoff and lower Democratic turnout or lower turnout in general. So to me, what will be different is that with two people, obviously the Dantzler people would go to Edwards. Mm-hmm. I would figure a fair number of the Landrew people, because they're voting on the name, would yeah. vote for Edwards. Yeah. It really then becomes a function of can Responi and or Abraham present a compelling narrative now that it's a one-on-one race. But I certainly don't want to suggest for a millisecond that turnout's going to plunge and it's going to be Republican heavy electoral history shows differently i don't think so but i wouldn't be surprised if the president didn't come back oh he will and then that that, and that's going to have another impact on what's going on there's no question gentlemen i appreciate it uh and and if if people want to follow you on social media you're both brilliant men and i enjoy talking with you how can they find you and hear about you because i I know you do that social media thing sam so how how can people reach out to you if they want to they want to find out what you think well, you know, I'm I'm all over Facebook. <laughs> well, most of us who know him call him uh, Doctor Sam. His last name isn't Sam; it's Samuel Albert Samuel, and right. uh, and he's at the Southern University, and uh, and we we appreciate having him on. And John, how can people find you or catch up with JMC Analytics and polling? So I have uh, JMC Enterprises page on Facebook. I also on Twitter, and I will confess to being more of a Twitter person in terms of my day to day activity. Especially, he cusses more on Twitter. No, especially now that they raise the character limit. <laughs> right. <laughs> I could actually write a whole sentence rather that's than half a, a sentence. That's right. Uh, it's at WinWithJMC on Twitter. And, and I frequently opine on things, but I leave the punditry to others. There you go. Well, gentlemen, we'll see what happens this weekend. And depending on what happens, uh, I'd like to have you back. Y'all game for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge. I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees 
the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations. On a daily basis, we hear yet another story of workplace violence or active shooter. Open Eyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations, policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at openeyesafetytraining.com. We say keep open eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. This is The Clay Young Show. Nothing wrong with a little soul brother number one. Can't tell me you don't like that, right? Uh, All right. (laughs) Special thanks to John and Doc for being on with us. We'll see what happens next week as it relates to these elections. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Baby, 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 I got the feeling, baby. You know, for a long time, and that song's been a classic for a long time, and uh, for a long time when you thought about that song, you, you could picture little Keisha Knight Pulliam, Rudy from The Cosby Show, doing that as they did their lip sync episodes and now when you think back on the Cosby show well unfortunately your mind goes other places my how times change things well we've got more conversations to have this week as it relates to politics a couple of other guests lined up and maybe another one will slide into the deck thank you for listening today we appreciate your attention for Dr. Sam and John Cuvion don't forget if you subscribe on the Apple podcast app We ask that you leave us a review there. Positive. I mean, what else could you say? Five-star rating. Thank you so much. It helps us with our rankings with Apple. And you could also, as I said, subscribe. You'll get new shows anytime they pop up. We appreciate that as well. On social media, if you're into that kind of thing, on Instagram, Clay underscore BR. On Twitter, Clay, uh, at Clay Young BR. And on Facebook, just old Clay Young. Just Clay Young, for those of you who are literalist, not the just old part. Leave that out. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day, the beginning of your day, or the end of your day, depending on when you are listening to episode 217 of The Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.